Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, 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 everyone. Once again, you have tuned in for another episode of Bitches on Comics. This time, we aren't necessarily talking about comics. We like to throw wild cards at y'all sometimes, and this is a wild card. But I think once we start talking, you'll understand why we're talking about this show on this specific podcast. I am your host, Sarah Century. I am today the, the lone host but fortunately, to keep the conversation not just me monologuing, I also have a guest. So I would love for you to introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Um, <laughs> I'm Arturo. I'm Arturo Rojas. Um, I am just a nerd from the internet who sometimes pops on podcasts to talk about comics and stuff. <laughs> but I am not. I'm not an industry person. I'm like, I'm not an artist. Well, I'm a little bit of an artist, but not like that. Yeah, I'm just a pedestrian that gets to hang out on some podcasts sometimes with some great people. Well, I will say that the way that I met you was via podcast. Actually, I think I might have followed you on Twitter or something along those lines. But how I know you now is, is that many, many times we have guested together on the Gray Malkin Lane podcast to do a wide variety of things. A variety of things. There have been there have been trials. There have been, you know, deep dives on obscure characters. And my personal favorite are recent foray into drama and voice acting, where we're recreating um, just a wonderful story, uh, the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. The X-Men series, which is funny because whenever I told my brother about it, he's like, yeah, the one where they go to the future. And I was like, ah, 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 <laughs> it's actually the sequel. <laughs> the sequel, which makes it even better that it's a sequel, you know? Yeah. <laughs> to that. And of course, they're like, well, before we went into the future. So what are we going to do now? Go into the past. <laughs> you played uh, the role of Apocalypse. I played the role of Jean Grey. And I got to say, I can't speak for you, but I took huge inspiration from the voice actor from the animated series. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, before our first recording, that's exactly what I did. I just had like the like the first like the best apocalypse episode playing and then i almost went to like another episode and i was like no i just i want to go through that again like he just <laughs> the monologuing is incredible but i'll have you know that i now hear gene gray in your voice <laughs> i superimposed on your memory <laughs> Yeah, I love how that happens, though, because is like if I watch 
the animated series now, I would be like, Apocalypse sounds a bit off. (laughs) (laughs) But he, see, like, in the show, he has that, like, just slight kind of reverb kind of effect (laughs) that I'm such a sucker for that, like. Oh, same. And they're they're all incredible. Just the fact that I think all of us still kind of hear those characters and those voices is just a testament to itself. So I wanted to say, first of all, shout out to Chad Anderson for having us together on these podcasts. And, uh, you know, go check out Gray Malkin Lane, everybody, because, yeah, we're we're here, there and everywhere on that podcast. Yeah, huge shout out. Nothing but love for Chad and the excellent work that he does over at Gray Malkin Lane. Gray Malkin Lane bringing families and friends together for a couple of years now. Yeah, it's going strong. And I'm always getting new notifications <laughs> with episodes coming out. And I'm like, oh, yay. What am I going to listen to? Oh, it's crazy watching like in real time. I mean, not to go off on this, but watching Chad's guest list and, and, you know, recurring guests and friends of the pod right. just kind of expand. He's just, a, he's just a superb human being. Yeah. And the, the great connector, like always mm-hmm. bringing a great crew together. And it stuns me every time because he's so organized and I am the opposite of an organized human being, <laughs> or I am in my own way. Chad is like, goes to the next level, right? No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> this is worth a little, uh, a little tangent because it is on a whole other level. I love it about him. And it fascinates me. And, and the man's a machine. Like just recently we recorded and before the end of the night, he's sending a text in the group chat saying, hey, I just edited. It sounds great. It's like, what? What did you do? Yeah, I know. Fully employed, like father, children, like the whole nine yards. Yeah, he's incredible. And I love, just to give the listeners a little peek behind the scenes, I love you, Sarah, so much for sending your the email for this episode. And it's like, that, that was an email I would write. Literally, it was like three or four sentences. Like, hey, bam, bam, bam. You and I are so like that. Chad is such a beautiful human being. And you get, it's not a PowerPoint slide, like presentation. Yeah, it's just a Word doc. It is, so, it is written with so much attention and love and just it's so thorough that it really feels more like a powerpoint seriously and no matter how i'm like i just read these comics and i don't think i understood them like this like you go back and you're like wait a second you have all these details connecting every obscure character we know each other kind of through these x-men podcasts however we discovered in an episode of gray malkin lane that we both really, really love the Wheel of Time. And the way that this was discovered was you mentioned it. Every time somebody is shouting something out, it's like your recurring <laughs> ending to be like, uh, I'm, I just want you all to watch Wheel of Time season two. Because here's the thing. <laughs> Wheel of Time is such a huge and long and such a complete epic series right it truly has a beginning middle and end and a whole lot of side quests and literally thousands of characters i mean it's it's huge but it is just such an incredible and complete work right that Mm -hmm. it's something that i forever have you know i mean i got into that in my freshman year sophomore year i'm sorry of college so i mean not to date myself kids but it was like (laughs) we're talking about the the early 2000s or like the very tail end of the 90s, I guess. Right, right. 99, maybe 98. 
And by then it had been out for like 10 years or something, right? Because I think the first uh, book was 1990. Right, right. It was new to me. And actually when I jumped into it, that, that was an interesting thing is when I jumped into it, it wasn't done yet. We were at like book right. 11 or 12 or something like that. So there was still, I was able to experience in real time the like, oh my God, it's <laughs> The day that the new book is coming out, I'm going to Barnes & Noble to buy a book. <laughs> I don't remember the last time I cared about a series like that, you know? And yeah. it's, it's just such a huge and intimidating project that I think it's, it's dense and intimidating for people to get into. So I assume not a lot of people know about it. And right. only in my wildest dreams will I ever see it on screen. And lo and behold, and lo and behold. <laughs> the chat has career in it. It turns out that Rosamund Pike is also a huge nerd. Oh my god, <laughs> huge nerd! The cast is beautiful. Like so we'll get good. into the show, but just like yeah. what, like that, it exists is beyond belief for me. So now, of course, I live in existential dread of <laughs> it not getting renewed. Yes, the cancel is, yes, yes, yes. Speaking as someone who just survived my favorite series, Doom Patrol, like coming to an end, I was, when they announced it, I was like, why even care about anything? <laughs> <laughs> Everything I love gets taken away. Yes. <laughs> just, yeah. just such a ridiculous moment, but I get it. I get it. Because every single time, what was I afraid of? Like, it was like, this is going to be the season where they cancel this series. And eventually the number had to come up for so many reasons. But it's basically that where you're just like, just please let it go forever, <laughs> even though you know it And cannot. then there are the other shows that do go on forever. They only wrote so far along, right? So sometimes mm -hmm. things go longer than they probably should have gone. I mean, hell, you don't have to look far down the street of this genre to let's talk about Game of Thrones and what happened there. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, <laughs> he's still alive, but he hasn't finished it. Like what Robert Jordan and his wife, who is his editor, and Brandon Sanderson went through to like make sure that this story was complete. It just... It has, it holds like such a special place and not just mine. I know a lot of people out there. That's what I've learned is there are a lot of, a lot of wheel of time nerds out there and there's a lot of new fans like mm -hmm. you. Like me. Yeah. I was going to say, well, there's so many things I want to talk about in this call, but one of the very first ones is wheel of time slash X-Men kind of the same thing. The parts that I love the most about both of them is just all soap opera, right? It's like every soap opera scene that you love in the X-Men, I really feel like people could love in Wheel of Time because there is so much soap in it and it's yep. great. And I've only read, uh, as I've mentioned before, was like the first book and I really came to this franchise with the TV series for sure. It's been one of those ones where I was like, wow, it's weird that I haven't read this <laughs> kind of was once you look into it, you're like, this sounds amazing. Why didn't anybody try to sell me on this until like, you know, 2021 or whatever? What's this? Oh, Rosamund Pike's in it. I'll watch it since I am a gay person and I believe all gay people want <laughs> to see Rosamund Pike and more things. She's like our, she has like the Laura Dern vibes in that sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like, I just, I love when these actors are real nerd. They yes. are passionate about it. I, that just speaks to me on such a level. And we're going to have to talk about like how much of spoilers we want to get into, but it's just funny because. 
right now, in terms of the show, we're still in the era where Moraine is such a central character. Moraine is our introduction to this world and the threats that lie around us and what the hell is the White Tower. And as the books go on, not to get too far ahead, but uh, let's just say Moraine is kind of off the board for a while. And um, yeah, but I I don't even know if we'll get to that in the series because she's mm-hmm. such an incredible star. It'll be interesting to see what other, you know, how they're they're adapting. From what I understand, the series has been like a little bit grimmer, right? From the very beginning than like kind of the directions that they were taking the book. Once again, I don't know too much about that, like as far as being able to draw a solid comparison between the two universes. But I will say that my favorite parts of Wheel of Time are how real shit gets. There's something about it with Wheel of Time where I just buy it. There's a lot of structural problems like there will be people who are abusing their positions of power in these systems in this way the series has really there's a lot of ways where the series has followed the flow of the books precisely whereas Mm -hmm. like in the first season and in the first book really it's almost like i don't want to say run of the mill or generic but it's it's a pretty straightforward kind of fantasy you know okay there's the dark one there's a you know a prophecy you know, savior kind of thing. There's magic. You don't realize like how deep it gets and you will feel like you are in these different countries and different people and different cultures. And just the way Robert Jordan writes is so rich. And there's something about him that he would write and it would be so descriptive, almost to the point where it's like almost too much. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, this is great, but what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, from one paragraph to the next, Trollocs attack or right. boom, wig reveal. That person's actually one of the forsaken. What? <laughs> like, it is, there's these moments in the book where you just feel like the whole world is spinning. And they've been able to capture that. Yeah. Multiple times in the show. For sure. And the reveal of season two. And I'm going to say here, basically, that we are going to discuss spoilers because the show's been out for like a few months. The second season wrapped a little bit ago. So we can discuss spoilers. But I just want to give all of the listeners a heads up that that is going to be a thing, right? Watch the series and then come back because it's really worth it. And or let us continue to spoil it for you, which I personally am not. I don't mind when people <laughs> spoil things for me, really. So anyway, the point is, is, is that, yeah, in the second season, whenever they reveal uh, Celine is her name, I believe, oh. like that character, I was just like, what? What? Because <laughs> well, Celine. Of- so Celine is, I mean, that is straight from the books. That is from the second book. Celine is her you know, her, her persona or whatever, her, mm-hmm. her disguise. And it turns out to be Lanfear. And that reveal in the mm-hmm. show is incredible. In the books, that drags out a little bit more. That's the good thing about the, the show is that it has condensed some things in an interesting way. And it really helps move things along. I'll just say right now, my favorite character, I mean, I love all these characters in different ways, but my absolute favorite character of the entire series is Matt Cawthon. In the books and in the series so far, he's not a likable character. He is not a likable character until the second book, but really not even until like the third book. And he turns out to just be the funniest and just most likable and just a blast. 
reading the map chapters is incredible. So I'm looking forward to like, we haven't even seen the best of map. He's still going through his, you know, dark cocoon and, uh, and what comes out the other end is, is pretty amazing. This season, the most recent season, I think really turned me around on this guy because in the first one, you're like, oh no, you're, it's the friend that you see that's making all of the worst decisions. And you're like, no, (laughs) I can't invite you anywhere now. You're like being too much. Right. Well, yeah. Like first of all, he spends like most of the first season or like a good chunk of it possessed by like an evil dagger. It was not a good time. He was not a likable character. Nobody, there's nobody rooting for him in yeah. the early stuff he's just not not it but in the second season i think that they did a good job of just making me actually really root for him and in the final episode i cried when he has that moment where he's so excited that he might be still a hero instead of like whatever he's been telling himself about himself oh no <laughs> now i'm weeping <laughs> it's funny because so i want to just go back to you know you you were talking about like how the x-men and wheel of time there are some overlaps so one of them, I would say, is that they both have like a very like well thought out magic system or superpower system, you know, whatever it is. They It has like some mechanics in place. Oh, yeah. But both, despite that or on top of that, also have just crazy stuff. They're magic, time <laughs> right. travel, like, and not to get ahead, but with Matt, there is something that happens to him that is just so off the wall and so unlike anything that happens to anyone else in the books, basically, that I'm, that's like my, the biggest curiosity I have to see is how that translates onto the screen. It's going to be really interesting. Mm, Yeah, I'm excited to see more because I started reading the second book, which is funny because whenever I tried to set up this call, I was like, oh, that'll give me time like to read a whole nother book. And then I forgot that these are Wheel of Time books. So it's not like you can have like a jaunty, breezy, (laughs) your expectations of how many books you can read (laughs) in this period of time has to be adjusted for 1990s fantasy novel length standards, right? Yeah. 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 I, and like, I, I know sometimes I sound like, uh, like I should be getting sponsored by Audible, but I am <laughs> such a proponent of the audiobooks. Um, I don't know how that would be if it was my first time digesting it. But sure. As something, I mean, I've, so I've read the whole series all the way through, uh, I think three times completely. And now revisiting it through the audiobooks is really cool because it's like, I'm familiar with what, you know, what happens. I know, but I'm able to like enjoy it in a way that's more passive. It's almost like I'm watching TV in my head. Um, yeah. It's really, it's, it's really cool. I recommend it. I actually have ranted about this multiple times on this podcast because I'm also a big audiobook fan. And usually it's cool. The num- It doesn't mean I'm not reading. I'm still reading like 30 books a year. I get to read 60 books a year because now I have Audible going whenever I go for a walk or whatever. And that's right. always nice. I personally listen usually on the Libby app, which is like through your local libraries. Um, I've definitely tried Audible mm-hmm. and I really liked it. But I also use Libby just because I have six <laughs> library cards from different cities. So I was like, okay, let's put those to use. But yeah, using audiobooks, I think is incredible. I'm looking forward to it because that was how I didn't read the first one that way. But going back to the audiobook is gonna be fun, I think. One thing that um, 
is kind of difficult sometimes for me. So the way the names, like one of the things that Jordan does incredibly well is creates languages and names and just builds words and sounds that sound cool together, right? Or that are, you mm-hmm. know, remixes of familiar, you know, sound bites or whatever. But it's not always clear. Although in the books, like there is a whole glossary in the back. There is pronunciation keys. But, you know, some things are, are pronounced in different ways. And in the uh, audible version, some of the Forsaken's names are not pronounced correctly. And that is... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like Mo Gideon. And I love that the show, so far the show has, for me, nailed the pronunciation of everything. Every name, every word. Tarvalone, don't they say on the show? But is it supposed to be Tarvalon? According I to- always say Tarvalon. That's, I've always read it as Tarvalon. But on Audible, it's Tarvalon, which is oh. infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, instead of Mo Gideon, it's Mogadine. That's, okay. That one's the one that really pisses me off. Uh, <laughs> what else? Instead of Samaraj, they do Samarag, which isn't the end oh. of the world. But, you know, <laughs> hey, that, we're, we're nitpicking now. Uh, oh, it, for sure. I remember trying to read, a, like, I believe it was a sci-fi book from maybe the 80s aloud one time. And then I was like, oh, no, <laughs> all of these are made up words and I don't know how to say them. <laughs> like, this is horrible. Just a horrible moment of being like, ah, <laughs> I cannot pronounce any of this correctly simply because I don't know. And some of it, like sometimes when you're reading stuff, you're just pronouncing it in your head. But that's yep. not the same thing as like saying it out of your mouth hole. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> It's not. But yeah, it's nice whenever people give you like pronunciation keys. I saw that there was definitely some controversy around this online, though, because people were like, how how do you pronounce this? And then immediately there's a different comment saying different things that are like infuriated <laughs> with each other. But, but like you, we see that in other things, too. Like that's, a, that's yeah. an X-Men thing sometimes. That's a nerd thing. Yeah, that's I'll lose just thing. to be like, no, <laughs> my way is correct. I interpreted it correctly. <laughs> one, thing's, one thing about nerds, we'll, we'll argue about pretty much anything. Pretty much anything. Yeah, so what was it first that drew you to this franchise? Because you said that you've been reading it for a super long time. Clearly, having gone through it three times, that means you like it probably. And I was going to ask, you know, what was it that initially really drew you to it? So... Funny enough, I like I mentioned it was uh, my my sophomore year of college, and one of my roommates at the time, uh, her name was Jamie. So this was also when Star Wars prequel era was coming out, right? And she and I bonded on like a nuclear level on <laughs> Star Wars shit. Yeah. We watched all of the movies again. We went and watched them. You know, like just we bonded so hard on that. And she was like, "Art." I want you, like, she gave me, like, the first book. I, I want you to read it. I just want you to check it out. I think you'll love it. And, Jamie, if you're listening, thank you so much because you were right. Yeah. Big the first one's free kind of vibes there is, like, maybe, maybe you'll put it down, walk away, never think of this book again, but just try it once. Okay. And then you open the book and you're addicted for life. It's over. Uh, one, another thing about the series that makes it a little bit hard to promote is uh, this isn't a big sell, but it's the truth. The first book is good, but you can't judge the the whole series by the first book because it just right. gets 
so exponentially better. And I know that's kind of like a hard, like, oh yeah, just get through the first, you know, <laughs> six to 800 pages of, you know, which is still good stuff, but it just, yeah. you have no idea where it goes. The reason that the X-Men keep coming into this conversation, other than we both are also huge X-Men fans, is, is that I feel like it really prepped me for like that being dropped in the middle of a chaotic story vibe. It got me through Doctor Who, you know, like there's all kinds of franchises, Star Wars, that are incredibly complicated, but they kind of get better when you start to dig into them. In my humble opinion, like Doctor Who was a good show, but then it gets really good if you start to read all of the novels, right? So it takes kind of like a a kind of nerdy <laughs> like approach to it to begin with yeah. to be able to enjoy these long form stories. Of course, we could say hey, first 10 issues of Claremont X-Men, good, but maybe not the best, you know, and right. you can't really judge where it goes from there. I still love reading those early X-Men issues because the X-Men are like absolute fuck-ups back then, right? Falling all over each other. They don't understand their powers. They're all arguing and they don't have good teamwork. And it's wild to look at Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Colossus, and Storm just not having it together because that's not the character that we know today. So whenever you read those old comics, that is something really beautiful. You know, it's like, that's something that I love to see. It comforts me to know that at one time Storm was inexperienced and kind of shitty at her job, like better than me, right? Like better than I am at that job. But being a superhero is hard and you kind of see them have to like, grow together and become a family. And and there's also a level of growth on the artist part, right? Whether it's whether mm -hmm. it's Chris Claremont, whether it's Robert Jordan, whether it's Jim Lee or anybody, like you see like the early stuff and it's great and it holds up, but you appreciate it more once you have a sense for where it's gonna go and how much yeah. more comfortable and and just skilled you know, these, these creators are with these characters and storylines and, and little things that they tease early days. And then, you know, they finally have the chance to like flesh out and tell the story that they want to tell is it's cool to see that. Oh, I love that. And it's something that sadly, we really don't get to see all that much these days. I mean, yeah. obviously there are still long novel series and things like that. But if you're a comics reader, we've really gone from these long form stories to kind of like mini series and one shots. Of course, you know, whatever comics, I get it, you know, everything. There's much of that conversation to delve into. But it is something I, it always reminds me. And it's weird to bring this up because it seems out of place in this conversation. But the singer Diamanda Glass did a uh, essay once that was called to the, I think, a threat to the enemies of artists everywhere or something like that. And the whole point of the essay was her being like disgusted with people who would be like, well, for their age, they're doing pretty good on these projects, like for artists. And she's like, artists make great works when they're 80. It's not <laughs> you get bad at art suddenly or like, you know, you completely lose relevance. Like a lot of artists are working their entire lives. Right. And so that's something that I love. If you look to an artist of the past, you think of them of writing like, oh, this one book or something. And then you're like, wait, they wrote 40 books <laughs> in right. their lifetime incredible stuff and what this was basically jordan's work right i looked it up this is kind of the big one right it was the wheel of time franchise yeah i mean this is i i think there was some other early works i don't know if there was any any series but this just he poured everything into this and uh yeah there's something about his writing that it's almost poetry 
you know, sometimes mm-hmm. like just the, the way he's descriptive and, um, you know, it's funny, like mo- all the books start off with the same paragraph basically. And, and part of it is it was not the beginning of the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. And then the book starts, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what we see with X-Men now. We're never going to, you know, it's always <laughs> a beginning. Like they, these things all connect and they're all having, you know, happening in the same universe and, and impacting each other. But yeah, unfortunately, we won't get those those long runs. We just have to connect the dots ourselves. There's benefits to it and things that are not a benefit to it as no. well. So Yeah, I was thinking about Wheel of Time and how expansive it is. As you say, there is like so many pages, of course, to like clock whenever you're reading this franchise. But it's like the world building is truly off the rails. It's all soap opera for me. So like people will give these very flowery descriptions that are like Claremont prose, you know, like that kind of style of just telling you what is happening in the place that you're at and like saying it in such a beautiful way. And sometimes my inclination is just to be like, get to the drama (laughs) and like kind of skip through. And it's like, but even at that, I think that like the wheel of time books, I like never find myself doing that. It's kind of the same with Claremont where I'm like, Nope, I'm reading every damn word on this page. (laughs) And does it, it's like, I'm not skipping any of this because you're always going to get something else from that. And yeah, for the TV series, it like doesn't look like any other fantasy show. Like it has a very unique look to it. I've actually super appreciated the way that they've made every single environment look just stunningly beautiful. Yeah. Two Rivers is beautiful. Like every place that they've seen, the design is just incredible. And again, like tip of the iceberg, like there's so many other places that we're going to go to and different people. And just when you think you've wrapped your head around the whole of it yeah it's exciting (laughs) i am excited so i wanted to ask too because as you said it goes for a million bajillion books but so far we've only got two seasons was there anything that you felt was like a little rushed in it because there are sometimes where there's like a little bit info dumping because of how much there is right and so far right they've kind of gone one book to a season pretty much. And I don't know how that's going to continue, if that's going to continue in that same way. Pretty much. It's definitely gone one book to a season. I think in this next season, I think we're going to, it's going to collapse books three and four together. It's funny because watching the show is really why I said, hey, let me revisit this on, on Audible so I can kind of compare. So it's like fresh in my mind what happened in the book versus you know how did they they translate that for tv and Mm -hmm. i would say pretty much all the changes are for the good they are moving things along a little bit faster but they're not rushing it they they're 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 definitely taking their time with it as well so i think we're in a good place with that okay so here's something that is completely cut out from the show right so in the the first book in the eye of the world at the end, when they make it to the eye of the world, two of the Forsaken are there and they are defeated. And you kind of get this vibe of like, oh, okay, the, you know, the Forsaken are bad guys, they're scary, but but they're defeatable. And that's not the way it goes with the rest of the Forsaken. They're much yeah. deeper, threatening characters. So I think it's good that for the show, we didn't get, um, so those were, uh, for the listeners at home, keeping along, those are Agenor and Balthamal. 
And those characters, although they die in the first book by like book, I don't know, eight or seven, maybe, um, they are resurrected in new forms, in new bodies, and given new names. Agenor and, uh, wait, sorry, Osangar and, is it Osangar and Arangar? Again, going back to like these words that you know in your head, but you don't know them <laughs> until you say them out loud. Right. Yes. Uh, so that's something that is just going to be totally different on in the show versus uh, versus versus the books. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see like what you know which character. Like we know we're getting Mogidian. Uh, we were introduced to her at the end. We have Lanfear. We have Ishamael. They name drop Grendel, and yo, let me tell you, the gals, gays, and theys are not ready for the love affair <laughs> we are all going to have with Grendel. Grendel is, <laughs> is she's gorgeous, she's voluptuous, she's over the top in the book. When you, you know, when when we're in like her lair or whatever, uh, it's she's got like these Roman baths, basically huge pools, and all of her her servants are beautiful and either scantily clad or, and they're all you know just physical perfection, and she's having them doing like trapeze acts and swimming in formation and shit like just stuff that pleases her she's sitting on a chair of humans like yeah. like in kind of weird positions to make a human chair for her so she has this <laughs> pretense that she's all about the flesh and all about her pleasures but she's actually a really brilliant character and and she's like a like a psychologist psychiatrist psychopath and yeah uh -huh. i just i can't wait to see her make it on on stage i love them they have scared the shit out of me so far i like how scary this show is it freaks me the hell out there's been a lot of times where i'm like this might just be the end of this character even knowing that these characters last longer than than this basically but there's been moments where i was like oh don't know if this one's getting <laughs> like kind of that ominous tone i guess that the second season had i think was just kind of unparalleled for me like the whole time i was like pretty much edge of my seat everybody's arc is just like very fraught during this season this is probably the coolest thing about the whole series is you go in and you know the the marquee is you know, the dragon reborn. And this is a story about, about Rand, right? And yes, Rand is the dragon reborn. He's a main character, but you don't understand how much each of these characters is going to grow and develop into their, and have their own very incredible storylines like Matt, Perrin, Egwene, and Nynaeve. And I love that the show is really, because in the books, it's really framed like the three boys right? It's about the three mm -hmm. boys, which one of them is the dragon reborn and their girl friends, right? They're like the girl right. kind of, you know, friends, uh, in the, in the show, it's no, there's these five kids who are all born around the same time in the same area who might be the dragon reborn. So that's kind of cool that they threw the gender of, of the dragon reborn in question. Um, yeah. Because that really does speak to what happens in the story in, in the books where, I mean, Egwene and Nynaeve, I cannot overstate their importance. And and I don't want to give that away. And I'm sure, you know, you, it's very easy to Google it and spoil it for yourself. But yeah, you know, 
just what, you know, Egwene goes a very, 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 very long way. She becomes just an incredibly formidable Aes Sedai. Yeah, she's already incredible. Like the, her arc for this last season was, oh my God. Oh my God, her captivity. At the end when she kills her slaver, I don't even know. That was like a moment of like stand up and cheer, like kill this woman. Like she's so evil. I thought that like the way that they portrayed how evil she was was really good too because you really just see her cruelty so much and how it's like almost worse because she's so patronizing about everything that she's doing and is but is like full out you are not a human being like and says that to her directly yeah and they capture that so i mean in the books it's haunting because it's you know on this side of of the ocean of the Aerith ocean women who can channel are eyes to die and they're you know right. sometimes feared but you know mostly respected and but over in the shanshan land women who can channel are damani and they must be leashed and they have these uh again going to like the magic you know structure of the series there's different objects from the age of legends that can do different things with the one power so there's Angriol that can amplify uh, the amount of the one power you can channel. There's Sangriol, which are like super Angriol, <laughs> basically. They're like more powerful. And then there's Tarangriol, which do specific things. And some of them require the one power. Some of them don't. Some of them can be used by anybody and they do different, you know, specific things. So the Shanshan have uh, the Adam and it's a leash necklace leash and uh, and bracelet kind of (laughs) combo and when they leash the women who can channel like they just have full control over them you know they can make the the damani feel like she's being boiled in oil like nothing's physically happening but like sending those sensations and it's just super fucked up and in the show they did a great job of capturing just how horrific and how total the subjugation is uh like in the show i love that they they showed one of the broken damani was yeah. uh, a sitter for the blue aja like not just an Aes Sedai, a sitter for her aja like so that edwin hates them on such a fundamental level that's what they they sold really well because in the book she doesn't kill her but i think it was a good change because you know in this turning of the wheel it's a uh, it's a tough world and Egwene's going to have to yeah. make some tough choices. So this is an, an example of like where they, you know, have sped up, I think, her her hardening a bit. And I think I, I'll allow it. I, I think yeah, it I mean, for me, it's like I defy you not to murder the person that does that to you. Like, yeah. it's just, well, that's for the best. Like that person really needed to be taken out of that world because the fundamental belief structure is so wrong that you're just chilled by it those were like absolutely far in a way like the most harrowing scenes i think and that's saying a lot because it was the harrowing the murders the like the deaths the death toll was huge in this season like there was just a lot of brutal stuff and oh let's talk about Moraine and her sister, like that horrifying, <laughs> like sibling relationship, like even that was just heart wrenching to watch. Yeah. And honestly, like great. I love that they didn't take any easy outs with the sister. You could just tell that this is like an incredibly moral human being. And you're just like, man, 
that's rough for you. Like, it seems hard for you to have to be this person. I love that we, we've seen that character. I think uh, her name's Caroline de, uh, de Morgrid. In the books, she's not fleshed out till much later. And I say fleshed out, but like, she's not, you know, a huge character. But in the show, I love that they, they accelerated her a bit. And I forget her son's name, but in the books, he does betray them to the shadow. So that was like right on. Um, yeah, they, they, they made the right choices. Yeah, I think it helped me see that it's been really hard because there's so many points where like she just won't respond to her sister. Her sister keeps trying to reach out to her on some level and she just won't respond because it's like there is this emotional disconnect that she has to have. To me, that was almost the place where I see it the most was with her sister because it's not like she doesn't want that connection or miss that connection, but it's like her way of protecting anybody is to like not be near them almost. By this season, it was just like brutal to kind of have to watch her be like pushing everyone away, including Lon. Well, in a way, I mean, that's that's one way where, you know, and I guess, you know, the the some of the overlaps between Star Wars and Wheel of Time, right? That's like the Jedi, you know, when you go to become a Jedi, you aren't the same person. You're not, it, it's hard yeah. to keep in touch with your family. And, you know, they, they put a little bit of a, a finer point on that with the Jedi for, yeah. you know, probably for uh, worse, not better. Yeah, it's interesting. And you, both in the show and in the in, in the books, in the beginning, you think like, okay, Moraine is what an Aes Sedai is, right? So when you start seeing other Aes Sedai, you know that they're different and they have different personalities or whatever, but you imagine those characters also having had like the similar last few years as Moraine and doing whatever, going around the, the, the different countries and doing Aes Sedai shit. But you eventually realize that Moraine is different from even all her other sisters in the White Tower. Right. Like, and they, I love that in the show, they did a really good job of like showing her and Swan you know, being brought together by fate in in a way and setting off on this mission to find the dragon reborn and to help win the last battle. Like everybody's supposed to, you know, be against the shadow. And, you know, when the last battle comes, you're going to be on the right side of things. And it's easy to say that, but like these two characters went and took like a personal mission that, uh, that spoiler alert, it's going to get them into trouble. Well, we've already seen some of that trouble with Moraine. Yeah. (laughs) I love them. I have to take a side note just to be like, the visual pairing between Rosamund Pike and Sophie Okanito is easily like two of the most beautiful people on the planet, (laughs) like standing in a room together. And then they kiss also. And it's like, my eyes, my eyes, they're too beautiful. How? How? God, I wish I wish there was like video of me watching that moment the first time because I <laughs> literally screamed. Because in the books, you know, so here's another similarity with uh, with X Men, especially like let's say 80s and 90s X Men. All the gay stuff is subtextual, yeah. Right, like nobody's out. So in the books, there's a lot of like talk of pillow friends, which you know you get a sense. Oh, okay, those are. They were roommates, right? Like mm-hmm. you start reading between the lines and God bless the creators of the show for bringing that shit out and giving us that kiss. And yes, 
Oh my God, the relationship between them is, so far, every time they appear together, I feel like someone is punching me in the heart and I love that. I'm addicted to that emotion <laughs> and therefore I love watching it. It's just like the idea that like as men foresaw, like this is just going to turn out so badly <laughs> for Murray and I'm just like, I want to see it. Like I love the soap opera. That's the part that really gets me here. And I love, like, they barely really delved into it, but every time they show a part of their relationship, it's always just so devastating and so important to everything that's going on is like showing this background of, yeah, they were almost happy real quick. This whole Dragon Reborn thing happened and like their lives were completely derailed by that. Our lives kind of just get washed away. That's kind of a sense that I get whenever I look at Wheel of Time, the book that I read and, you know, the part of the next book that I read and plus the TV series is it's so good at conveying how your lives just get wrapped up in these big global events. Everybody's dragged into it. There's nobody who gets to be impartial in Wheel of Time from what I've seen so far. Even her sister, you know, even her nephew, like these are characters that in a perfect world would be able to just be impartial. I think that she tries to keep them impartial. She tries to kind of stay away from them and like has to come back to them at a certain point when the worst is the worst. But now whenever people are like, now the masks are coming off because there's so many horrible things happening in the world. So you're seeing people really embrace their horribleness. But I think it's the same with the goodness of people. Yeah. Like you see them really like showing it. And so I kind of get that sense whenever I'm like watching Wheel of Time or like whenever I'm reading it is just that there is this sense of like our lives are kind of swept up in it. There's this tension with Wheel of Time and the, and the characters where there's the character, the person, and then there's the role that they fill. So like, like Swan Sanche, right? The Amarlin Seat, like beyond reproach, right? Just immaculate, intimidating, flawless powerful, like a queen on her throne, right? But Swan Sanche is a girl from a fishing village in Tyr uh, who grew up, you know, fishing with her dad on the river. And Tragic. Yeah, Tragic right? Like a simple, simple girl. And, you know, she could channel. So they burned down her daddy's house. And so they sent, you know, sent him off, sent her off to the White Tower for, for a better life. And she becomes the Amarlin Seat, you know, dot, dot, dot. And such an incredible character. But again, spoiler alert, we are going to see the fall of Swan Sanche. For there to be a new Amarlin eventually, two, maybe a couple of new Amarlins between now and, and when it's all said and done. Uh, first, we're going to have to see like the, the in unstoppable Swan Sanche, great and mighty fall. And... That's that's something that's a recurring thing in in the books too. Um, I've seen promos for the next se season. We're gonna now we're gonna dig into uh, the the houses and the nobility of Andor. So we've already been introduced to Elaine Tricond, right? She's mm -hmm. the daughter heir of Andor. Her mom is Queen Morgay's Tricond, and um, she is she is like she is the queen. Right. Like there's other smaller kingdoms and, you know, different nobility and, you know, throughout the series. But Queen Morgays is like the queen queen. And um, she's just incredible. So we're going to see we're going to meet Elaine's mom. We're going to meet Elaine's 
hot brothers, her hot uh, <laughs> half-brother, Galad, and her hot brother, Gawain. And <laughs> that's just going to be a whole bunch of other stories that are going to be incredible. Yeah, I found Elaine to be very uh, compelling in this season because she's one of those characters where I kept expecting them to make a point of like, and that's why you don't trust rich people <laughs> or something like that. But she's right there, you know, with uh, Nynaeve. Like, they're like on the same being like, we're going to go get our friends, you know, like they're like showing up together in this way that I think is really stunning. That's like in the books, they they team up early on when they barely even know each other and when I tell you that like the best is yet to come because <laughs> Elaine and Nynaeve become this like the funniest, not like a buddy, like a buddy cop kind <laughs> of, you know what I mean? But right. like they're on the case and they're, you know, chasing down the black Aja or whatever. And just, oh my God. <laughs> you know, the bloody daughter air and, you know, you know, like with her nose in the air and the bloody wisdom of Emmonsfield, they both have such strong personalities and yeah. they love each other and they would, you know, live and die for each other, but they also wear each other out. Like they're like, <laughs> that's like your best friend, but like the one that you want to like sometimes strangle, but yeah. only you can. It's so good. Because they're kind of too much alike, which I think we're already seeing is like they're butting heads. And then they're both like, well, we're here for our friend. I'm here for my friend. And then they're like, wait a second. It's the same friend. Let's team up. <laughs> it's just like this really comical connection between those two. But it's based out of this extreme loyalty and love that they have for this other friend. There's just something really lovely about that. And something, too, that I've enjoyed a lot is how how complicated each one of these characters is uh -huh. just from jump because we're at the beginning <laughs> every one of these characters has just a whole personality a world behind them whenever they take Lan and like give him an entire episode just to mourn his friend in the first season is what in the hell? Like, this is not stuff that I feel like they would have even made room for in most other series. Yeah. The dealing with the grief that he's feeling and like in this season, too, because he's, you know, separated. And so he has a lot of angst about that and is like really upset <laughs> that you know, Moraine won't talk to him. And it's just like watching those two, you love them so much. You know, it's like they have such a good, and here for what I can tell, they've mostly, it's portrayed as like a friendship that's mostly platonic, right? You know, obviously they are going in different directions relationship-wise. Yeah. Like in the first season, they're like, they're taking a hot bath together. But it's yeah. like literally like you're, it's not in like a sexual way at all. It's just, it's so hot because yeah. they're both individually very hot. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you don't get the sense that, that they're going to have sex. Like you don't right. really get the sense that there's ever been a moment of weirdness between these two, honestly. And there's something so heartwarming for that. I think especially if you are like a, I don't know, a queer person, but also maybe just like a feminist or like you don't want to just see the same damn love story again and again, like popping up in everything. Like, I, you know, we talk about like what Fury Road and be like, thank God that that wasn't a relationship. It's like, it's weird when you have to watch a movie and be like, at the end of it, you're like, thank God that those two leads that were not compatible in any way didn't hook up. <laughs> like, cause that's every movie, right? It's like, yeah. they really forced these like hetero romances where they don't seem to have any place. And so for this, it was like, it would have been easy for y'all to do that 
actually, because these two do have this very spiritual connection with each other. But just being kind of like, yeah, I don't know. They're not really attracted to each other. Like she is waiting on Sophie Okanito and I can relate. Lon, it's like every person who watches this show is like, that's my favorite. He's I love this so man. hot. Yeah. He's just he's like, so hot. He's like in the books, he's just like so brooding and just, you know, he's uh he's he's a whole lot. Um one yeah. thing I do love that that they they've done justice for in the show is shout out to Alana Sadai and all the Green Aja girls out there. Uh, yes. Like like oh like Elaine and like Egwene, I too would choose the Green Aja, the Battle Aja. Yeah. The the Aes Sedai of the Green Aja are known for having multiple warders. Mm-hmm. And I love that there is no subtext in the show. Two of her warders are absolutely banging, and yep. they all three hook up. And she might be in the market for a third order. And yeah, <laughs> she's like, come on and join us, buddy. <laughs> so do I. There's so many times whenever you're in something and you're like, I don't think that's very groundbreaking. I'm queer. Like, I don't think right. that it's too groundbreaking for people to be polyamorous. Right. But like you think about it from the outside and be like, wait a second, this is like the only time I've seen this this healthy in a show. Right. <laughs> so yeah. you kind of have these moments where you're like, damn, it actually is kind of groundbreaking because the fact that she's so in charge of her sexuality and is like, anytime somebody is weird to her about it, she shuts it down. Like, it's amazing. It's so amazing. I, she's so sex positive. She's so like, <laughs> it's, they, they just did such a good job with that. And yeah, I mean, as we're yeah. saying this, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm living and breathing in a throuple relationship. So I guess maybe that's part of my, sure. uh, my affection for, for this storyline. It's just, it's so cool to see it portrayed in, in a cool, healthy, but also queer way. And also still kind of jealous. Like, that's cute. (laughs) It's not toxic jealous. It's cute jealous where it's just like, I feel left out, you know, or something like that. Hello, listeners. As you know, our society is built on capitalism. (laughs) Among many other fucked up things. But you can help us for as little capitalism as we can make happen, which is you can rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us five stars. Say something cute about how fucking great we are. And you know what? You're going to help us with a little bit of time, but not any money. Again, rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us five stars, babies. We love you. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. 
R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of thralls, so, um, <laughs> you know, another you know, spoiler here for, for Wheel of Time lore is part of the whole story is, you know, Rand and Elaine do fall in love, but that is not Rand's only love interest. He has three, mm-hmm. and it's Elaine, Min, uh, and Avienda. And that is messy in the books, but they Jordan does something really beautiful with it, and I don't know how controversial this is to say, but you know, for some people it's, it might hit different. You know, I don't know, but it's just something very different than what you see in other works. And uh, and I'm just interested to see how far they're going to take that in the show. Oh, I'd love to know. And that's kind of a thing, too, is I wanted to bring up Min because I've definitely heard the argument for Min as a non-binary character yeah. uh, from the books as well, yes. right? So, like, there is something, too, that I wanted to say. With Wheel of Time, it's hard to be like, oh, they talk, they deal with gender a lot. Here's some gender stuff. Every character has a gender journey in these. So it's like you have each character kind of establishing or, you know, like not, you know, with gender kind of again and again through the series. You have this kind of exploration, as as we said, of like there's throuples, at least one so far. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. We have queer characters. That part might be like a bridge too far for some people because like I will say, you know, the gender roles are very traditional in a way, mm-hmm. but then there's another way where it's there's more equality to it. Like he acknowledges the difference between men and women, but the balance there and and the power there, right? It's not it's mm-hmm. not as patriarchal as I think the real world. I mean, it is, right. but it's just yeah, he, he just treats gender in a different way. And it's, yeah, it's like, it's more traditional and conservative. And I know that sounds like a turnoff, but then there is like, don't think that that's like limiting boxes because you're going to see a whole bunch of like men definitely pushes the boundary there in my reread or, or my revisiting of the series that, that's jumped out at me big time. Elaine is like the beautiful princess. Avienda's like the fierce warrior. And men is kind of like, the friend that Rand wants to like hang out with all the time and is super <laughs> smart and hot and they have great chemistry, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's not like these, you know, paragons. They all have a different role kind of, right? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting to me. I have thought about it a lot because to me, it's like one of those things where it is kind of best case scenario whenever you're reading something, even if you're like, okay, patriarchal a bit, but it does explore. And I think that that's interesting because I feel like, you know, whatever, if it comes out in 1990, I definitely have a different, it's a fantasy book from 1990. (laughs) You know, you have those kind of expectations of like, this might be troublesome, like when you're reading it. But then it's a lot of the times what I find personally, I will be like weirdly impressed by some takes. Okay, cool. Maybe not where we're at today, but like I'm kind of impressed that you gave us these like toys to play with. Then later on, you can have a TV show that kind of readdresses everything and makes it be a little bit different in a way that I think is really fun. Uh, So I don't know. For me, it's not always a deal breaker. There's time periods that you just kind of There's like an implicit kind of, I guess, almost like a content warning that comes with it just because you're like, well, it was this time, this genre, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. But oftentimes I am actually surprised by how much kind of progressive messaging can get through those. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and so, so speaking of, you know, things that, uh, uh oh, this might be problematic or troubling. How familiar are you with, and I mentioned her earlier, uh, Arangar, one of the resurrected characters who also her alias, her her undercover name is Halima. Are you familiar at all? Mm-mm. No. Okay. So here's another <laughs> huge question in my mind of like, sure. hmm, how are they going to do this? So remember earlier in the show when I mentioned those two forgettable forsaken from the first book that die um, pretty quickly and easily? Right. But then come back, right? Right. So the Dark One resurrects them and... He has like a twisted, you know, sense of humor, perhaps. And he resurrects Balthamal, who was like known as like a womanizer and just kind of like a dick and kind of, you know, kind of like a piece of shit. Um, He doesn't have like a very compelling story. He sounds like he was just obnoxious, right? Just like an awful person. So when he gets resurrected, he is in a woman's body and She is breathtaking, beautiful, just, you know, perfect figure, all of that. But instead of being able to wield Sadar like the women, she can wield Sadin like the men. So it's this whole thing where, like, she is Balthamal, who lived as a man his whole life, and now she's resurrected in a woman's body, not by her choice. Um, So just, you know, talking about exploring gender, like, Robert Jordan was on one with that, and it's kind of cool, you know, what he explores with it. Some of it falls into, like, a little bit tropey because, you know, Halima right away is, like, over-sexually charged and hanging out of her dress and, you know, uh, rumored to be hanging out with stable hands and shit. Um, Right. Which, (laughs) you know, honestly, if I was resurrected in Halima's body, that's probably what I would do. So... You know, you know, that might be <laughs> something out there relatable for other people. I don't know. Um, I don't know if this is a good thing to explore in the show. I don't think this is a good way to speak about the trans experience, but I, I can't speak to that firsthand. But I would say that uh, it would be fraught. And I think sure. the show is is uh, brave enough that they'll probably, like, if they're going to do it, they're going to do something cool and uh and maybe fix some of the things that maybe Jordan didn't get right with that. You know, some things that totally. might be, or we might be able to get better. 
Yeah, I'm interested to see how that goes. Because there's also the idea of like women having like less of a sex drive. So it's like whenever it's a man in a woman's body, then she's all sexual. (laughs) It's just kind of silly, it sounds like. But I'm interested to see how it goes because I haven't really been disappointed. I was kind of, yeah, I would like to see a little bit more exploration, I guess, of men and kind of, you know, there's a few things where I was like, cool, maybe we'll see more about this or maybe they'll hash this out more like next season or something like that. But far and away, I really have been, as you said, kind of like optimistic and watching it in this way of like, oh, nice work. That's great. And then you're like very nervous (laughs) because you're just like, if I love something this much, I'm just nervous about it. (laughs) Like, It's kind of hard. You have read all of the books, as you said, three times, which is incredible. So I want to know what your favorite era, like what's your favorite book? What's the one that stands out as the best one for you? Okay. I, my gut instinct is to say Lord of Chaos, book six. I'm a sucker for a bad bitch. I love <laughs> villains. And book, let me say, okay, so in book two, we have Land Fears, you know, sneaking around. We have the fight with Ishmael. Book three, we're going to go to Tyr uh, and the Stone of Tyr. And Belal is the Forsaken we'll see there. Again, I don't know if we're going to get... Bilal, or if he's he's one of the characters that might get folded into someone else. Characters that we will see for sure, though, are Ravine. So remember I was talking about Elaine's mom? Well, mm-hmm. Elaine's mom falls under the Jedi mind tricks of one of the Forsaken. So his name is Ravine. Or in his, you know, his his undercover name in the in the books. I have to figure out the the right word for that. It's not the undercover name, but like his alias or whatever <laughs> is Gabriel, the Lord Gabriel, and uh-huh. he is straight up Sebastian Shaw. Even the way he's described, oh. <laughs> this broad chest and you know uh, dark hair with you know whites at the temple, and <laughs> so he is that guy. And he comes and he just just the most toxic kind of relationship like you see it like he has her like in this (laughs) web of compulsion and um runs andor into a bit of ruin uh so we're gonna we're gonna get to these characters for ravine but then in book six that's when we really start getting into grendel demandrid samaraj like so yeah i i'm a sucker for bad guys short answer lord of chaos um but there's some other really great sleeper hits Book three is great. That's the Dragon Reborn. Book four, Shadow Rising is great. You see Rand Althor go through a lot of changes. Recently, I just finished book 10, and I don't even want to say what happens in that, but <laughs> it's something so huge and monumental in the entire like series. It's like a world-changing event that you never see it coming. It's not like you have like, chapters of Rand talking about when he's going to do this like no it's like at the end of the book he's like so here's what i'm going to do and in the last chapter (laughs) they do it and it is it's just epic is the only word for it so there's a lot more to look forward to but yeah book six lord of chaos i'm beyond thrilled to get into it i was gonna ask too because you say you love villains i also love villains they've been doing such a good job on the villains every villain scares the shit out of me on this show like Every one of them, I am terrified in many directions. (laughs) Like, to me, I especially once you make it into that second season, like, there are scenes where, 
when the characters are separated, you feel like they are so entrenched with the enemy, like they are surrounded by the enemy. Yes. And so there is this kind of conspiratorial feel between the good characters, like the char- characters that are on like the good side, I guess. Like those characters are like talking to each other in a way that's just like whispering in the hallway and then being like, we got to go because we're going to get caught. Like that kind of vibe that just adds so much tension and like so much fast pacing. I also really loved that you see how much everybody's changed by the end of this season. Like even just since that very first episode, we're only, as you say, like 16 episodes in, maybe two books in, you know, like roughly. And so even from that first episode to where we're at right now, every single one of those characters is a different person entirely. And like, that's just wild to see knowing that that we're not even close to the end. We're at the point where we've taken like the first big turn, right? Like everybody, like Heron's on his wolf shit. Matt just, you know, spoiler alert, uh, sounded the, the, the horn of Valir calling back the heroes of legend, um, to help help them, you know, fight the Shanshin back into the sea. And it was cute. It, <laughs> it was, was incredibly cute. That was magical it, too. I screamed because like that's a, that's another thing. Like in the books, when you get to there, you're like the book, the second book is called The Hunt for the Horn. So, you know, you know, there's a horn of Valir. You're not surprised that it's in play, but you're not expecting it because it's supposed to be blown at the last battle. So the last thing, you don't feel like this is the last battle. And when it gets blown, you're like, everything has changed. And they did a great job of capturing that in the show. Like Matt really sells the, like the scale of that moment. Oh, it was great. I loved that part. And that was it. Like season two really was all thriller, no filler. Like there was really no, you know, checking your watch. Like season one is good, but season two is like, Oh my God, it's like on another level, like all bangers, no skips. Yeah, that was how it was. Was like uh, in the first one, by the time that concluded, I was like, this is my favorite series. I love it so much. And then, like, going into the second one, I was like, hopefully it's as good as the first season. And then it's like, oh my God, it was better. How did that happen? <laughs> I am stunned. Like, I was like, so one thing I love is we've got the reveal of Leandrin being Black Aja. When I say tip of the iceberg, that is just a whole other thing. Like when they start chasing the Black Aja, trying to hunt them down, the the very few like known sisters that they have of the Black Aja, and then trying to figure out who else can be Black Aja. Jordan is masterful at, and now, you know, as I go through it again, I'm able to identify like the red herrings more clearly. And it's like, oh, wow. Like I only remember this as like, oh yeah, this person turned out to be bad. But now revisiting it, I see that, it literally could have been any one of these three different people. Like he was dropping, you know, different clues. But yeah, he, he's great at not telling you where he's going to take you, but lulling you into think that that's what he's doing. But then you're, you're, when you're expecting that we're just going down the road this way, that's when he like hits the pedal to the metal and you're off-roading and, you're like, how the fuck is this happening? Like, what is happening? I thought we were talking. I thought we were doing something else. Like, who are the Shanshin? Why are I thought we were, you know, I thought these were the bad guys, not these, you know. But there's different faces to the war. And as you go through the series, you know, the only thing, the only people that are 
straight up bad guys are like the Forsaken and the Dark One. But like even the Shanshan, you'll you know you'll be surprised to see them humanized eventually. Eventually, and the the Forsaken were kind of that too. It's yes. like I don't. It's hard to condemn them entirely, even though they're like the worst people. <laughs> it's like they're so horrible. You see them logicking their way through yeah. it and being like, "I'm horrible because of this." <laughs> it's just like to them that makes perfect sense. To them, that's just the way things are. That's why they'll keep repeating this goddamn wheel, right? Is yeah. like they'll be resurrected and do the same damn thing again, you know? Because it's just like. Sometimes that's how people are. Like you get in these, like you get stuck in your own personality and or I something love, like I that. I love that that's like Ishmael's whole struggle is like, that's very, you know, uh, Luciferian or whatever, like yeah. where he's like, no, I don't want to repeat the damn wheel. I want to break the fucking wheel. I want, yeah. I want freedom. I don't want predetermination. I don't want to be spinning in a hamster wheel i want it to just stop i want to be in control um and yeah it's that's com that's super compelling um i love that they like lanfear for all her other stuff I've, i i love lanfear because she's just a girl who wants her man and um she makes compelling points she makes like, good you points have, I <laughs> she makes good points listen all of forsaken come at rand and and this whole dragon reborn uh problem from different angles and i'm just saying i understand where lanfear is coming from because that man is hot and <laughs> if i can make love not war our way into ruling the world let's try that i get it <laughs> and then somehow it turns into a huge murder spree <laughs> murder spree oh my god lanfear tearing through kyren in the second season like towards the end is yeah. the thing of dreams just walking through and just everything around her is just exploding she is untouched unbothered unblemished happy to be there <laughs> she's so great oh, she's just yeah. such a wonderful villain i loved her i thought that she was really great before they got to the reveal of who she was, you were like, there has to be something not right about this woman, oh, right? Yeah. And then like, but they really got you into a sense of security with her. And that made me be like, she's a goddamn expert because she got me too. Yeah. By the time that like he's trying, he's like tells her he loves her and is like ready to like lay it all down and just like stay with her. I was just like, me too, Rand. Like I get it. And then at a I certain love that. I love that when Rand channels, she's like, oh, "You're a man who can channel." <laughs> she, she's like <laughs> appalled by it. Uh, and then she whips out her trick. She's like, "Psych, I'm Landfear, one of the fucking Forsaken, one of the most powerful channelers in history." One of the most stunning moments of the scene is Moraine just like running in, slicing her head off, and oh then being God. like, "We gotta go." incredible i don't know i do love this series so far i've just enjoyed it like and just for a second like second of appreciation for lanfear's face face card never <laughs> decline i know that there's more to her and the character and the actress and all that but the face card she is stunning and the costuming for her when they're in teleranriad in the second season and she is just you know what I'm talking about, the headpiece and her big throne. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Pump that shit <laughs> into my veins. 
There's something very interesting about this because it's like, I feel like they really are getting hot people of all ages in here. There's the youngs and they're running around with their drama. And I'm sure if I were like 18 years old, I would be in love with them. And now I'm like, but I'm 40. So I'm in love with the Rosamund Pike, Sophie Okanito relationship. Yeah, I feel like they're kind of like getting the hottest people of all of the times. Like Moraine's sister is hot. Like she's yeah. supposed to be like 70 in this show. Everybody is a damn cutie, I tell you, in this series. The villains, like a lot of the villains are super hot, which doesn't help me think that they're bad. <laughs> you know, that thing where you're just like, how bad could they be? They're hot. And it's like, of course, hot people are evil all of the time. <laughs> There's something about like the villains so you know, sometimes they're dressed in the garb of, of the time now and, you know, whatever. But other times you see them in, like, their kind of looks from from the past. Mm-hmm. Lanfear walking around in, like, like, a pantsuit is, like, not what anyone else in this era, you know, <laughs> wears. And she just kills it. And, you know, part of the Wheel of Time is, like, there is no beginning or there is no end. You know, was the Age of Legends. It's in the past, but they were so much more advanced than us. So, like, where along the wheel you are is uh, is just something to consider. And there are things about the Age of Legends that are just literally, like, stuff that we have in the modern day, right? Like, mm-hmm. pantsuits, elevators, <laughs> you know, one of, one of the Tarangrial that um, Elaine is, like, would love to see in real life is, like, something called the lift, you know? There's a, there's a scene, I don't even know in which book this is, but the girls eventually in, um, in Ibudar, in a storehouse, they come across a bunch of different Tarangriol and Angriol and Sangriol. And eventually in the books, like Elaine is trying to explore what they do and like Avienda can kind of hold these objects and get a sense for what they do. And literally some of the things that, that are described, like one of them is basically like a Kindle, right? It's like a, a little <laughs> statue of a man holding a book, but, you know, it really contains thousands of books and a little box that uh, looks like it can play music, but it can play thousands of songs. And it's like, oh, that's an iPod Nano. It's it's interesting. These cool things. We'll talk about fantasy or sci-fi predicting the future, but these are fantasy, and that's like when it gets really impressive because they're going into the past. Yes, <laughs> they predicted Kendall. Damn it. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I love this show. Uh, Well, all right. So I guess we've got to wrap it up. But I wanted to say, first of all, match your favorite character. So what are the bi vibes in the books? Because the bi vibes are kind of through the roof here, right? Like he comes off very bi. So Matt is, in the books, Matt is probably like the straightest character. Like he is, he's a shameless flirt. Um, He, you know, his whole sexual awakening is is just worth the price of admission to experience. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. So eventually, Matt goes through a Tarangriol and gets uh, answers to questions. And it is told that he is destined to marry the daughter of the nine moons. So eventually, that is a, that's a high-ranking, high-blood, basically the princess of the Shanshan Empire. And the last person you would ever expect Matt Calhoun to be, you know, to end up with. And just like the, the comedy of when they meet and like when, like how that affects him and just, you know, the 
inevitability of it. And he's like, bloody hell, you know, um, there's a lot of great stuff. But Matt is not where I go to with with the buy stuff. Although I do love that in the show, they definitely infused Ishmael and Matt with this like buy tension. Mm-hmm. And yep. Matt definitely was like, so you're going to kill me, bang me, you know, either way, let's just get to it. I love that. I absolutely love that. But in yeah. the books, the buy stuff really is going to be a lot more with the ladies for sure. Elaine is a little, uh, a little buy for Brigida. Um, <laughs> Elaine's also a little buy for Avienda. You know, we'll get there. We'll get there. But <laughs> there are nonetheless buy vibes all over this series, <laughs> and a lot of gay vibes, and a lot of polyamorous vibes, just a lot of gender exploring vibes. I'm enjoying it a lot so far. I'm excited for them to get into it even more because it feels like that's the direction we're going in. So yippee Kaye, I'm very excited to get there. What is there anything that you would want guys? Cause I don't know how much you've like Wikipedia. Did. I don't know like what you know sure. that is coming down the road. Um, but is there anything that you've heard is coming that you're like super excited about? I just that spoiler alert, I guess, like almost in that first season where men's like, oh, you're going to like ruin your life for this woman <laughs> to like Rosamund Pike. I'm so thrilled to see how that plays out because I love their relationship is so compelling to me so far because it's like two people who like really relate in like the same way. It's like they're both people who like seem like they have to be strong more than they need to be actual human beings, right? Like it seems like their whole idea of themselves is like in their identity that other people see. There is like a secret self, but it's very disconnected from like what a lot of the other people experience. Or like, you know, you have characters be like, oh, I wish you had known her before all of this happened or like something like that. Those are the moments that I'm really living for. And of course, I want to see... All of the drama, all of the relationships kind of play out more. Aguin, that's probably the character of the kids that I'm like by far the most interested in. I really like Perrin. I like where he's going. Like I'm really interested to see how all of this stuff works out. The Oh, his pup. His pup dying was just oh, like, oh, I'm destroyed. They did, I know. They did that justice because it breaks your heart when it happens in the books and it breaks your heart when it happens in the show. That's going to have consequences in that moment. And you're just like, oh, man. But I can't say I wouldn't do the same if somebody was cold murdered my dog right in front of me. Like, that's just like a uh, horrible, horrible. So, like, Matt is, like, my favorite character. But Perrin, in the books, Perrin is is the character that he's, like, the of the three of the guys, like, the main guys. He's the one. He's the prince that I want to come rescue me. Right? Like, yeah, he's just... He's a little slow, but he's he's really smart, but he's slow and he's just like, because he's so big and strong that he likes to be, you know, slow and delicate. He's kind of written like Colossus in that way, like the gentle giant. Yeah. He's, you know, super strong, but he's like a good heart and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like violence, but he can do it. The parent chapters are sometimes, I hate to say this, but sometimes those are like the slower chapters. Like, it's kind of like, okay, I'm into it. This is fine, but let's get back to a map, Rand. Elaine, like anyone else. Um, yeah. But he's just, he is like such a good man. Perrin is a good man. 
Yeah, and you see it through this whole thing. Like, that, it's so tragic. He keeps, like, losing people and pets <laughs> that he really loves. But you really see... Um, a seriousness to him, right? Is like this ability to kind of settle in. But also, oh, the last thing, like, let's talk about, because you've brought it up and it's not something that, I mean, occasionally there's laugh moments on the show, but the novels are funny, right? Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> like literally hilarious. Like, I cannot tell you, like, the math scenes, like, Nynaeve and Elaine at some point are hiding away in a circus. Valen Lucas traveling <laughs> menagerie and marvelous wonders. It's something like that. It's a very long name. Valen Luca, the way he's written is just hilarious. He's like this pompous ass and you know, he's walking around flourishing his cape and um, <laughs> just like what the girls go through during that whole time. Like their, their, uh, their cover story is Elaine is a, is a lady um, who is escaping like, her lover because she doesn't want to marry him and Nynaeve is like her lady's maid and Elaine's like well it's just because I'll know how to behave like a lady you know and Nynaeve is like oh would my lady like any water before bed would my lady like me to fluff her pillows like they just have this oh it's so good it's so good yes the books are fucking hilarious it takes a while to get there but let me tell you there are laugh out loud moments especially anything with matt is hilarious anything with matt yeah. is hilarious <laughs> at the end of book three Nynaeve, elaine and edwin are chasing the black aja which is you know probably not recommended since they're like accepted at that point they're not even full isodai and they get captured they're screwed uh they're just about to kind of get themselves out of it but they haven't quite yet Bibbity boppity boop. Matt Calhoun <laughs> shows up and he opens up their cell. And Nynaeve is like, Matt, what the light are you doing here? And he's like, Well, I came here to rescue you, and I'll, I'll be burned <laughs> if I thought I was gonna, if you were gonna treat me like I'm here stealing pies. Like, <laughs> just it's so good. It is so good. I'm not doing it justice. It is. Again, Robert Jordan is a poet. The man has a way with words. And sh just short of, of sitting here and reading passages to you guys, there's no way I will be able to like capture <laughs> the the great humor, the quality of it. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, I needed I didn't necessarily need to be told to read the rest of these books. It was already on my agenda, but the the series and then like having someone who's so enthusiastic about it has really helped me. I hope that they get so much time to just do as much of the story as they want to or can. I think one of the biggest things is people are like, "Oh, it's a little rushed." And it's like totally but if you feel that way, hopefully check out the books, because from what I understand, the books are just this like epic that goes over so, so many books and explore all of these characters like as as much as it possibly could <laughs> if by one creator. Well, more than one creator, I guess, because, you know, it's kind of a team behind the scenes. But, you know, this singular writer yeah. having this like stunning output where it's like all of these characters really do feel like people that, you know, kind of at this point. Yeah, it's hard to express how good it is. It's, it's the kind of thing you just have to like experience for yourself. And, and like as somebody who you know, what's on my agenda is to put the wheel of time on other people's agendas. It's kind of like, 
you know, but everyone in their own time, right? Like it's, it, true. You can't yeah. Rush, but, um, but yeah, if, if you like, if you like fantasy, like, yeah, this is, this is kind of like what so many other things want to be. That's, that's the part about this is like, there is this scale and this, this level of like epicness that, you know, that other series just want to do and fall short of it. But, you know, kind of like, understandably, like when I say fall short, <laughs> right. it's not even a dig, like so much of like where everyone is comfortable or whatever falls short, right? It's kind of like what you expect. Um, this, this just goes so far beyond. Oh my God. Thank you so much for talking to me about the wheel of time. And ever since I heard that there was a second season, cause I was like, I was so sure that they were just not going to do it. Like there was a certain point where after COVID-19, after writer strikes, like a whole lot of real world issues going on. To to be clear, like I am very pro people taking breaks during both of those yeah. things. So it's not like it was a bad thing, but we just hadn't heard any word of, from it. And I was like losing it being like, I'll never get season two. We'll never see Rosamund Pike and Sophie Okanito just like throw drama eyes at each other ever again. I was well, very upset. It's, it's just like, it's heartbreaking because when you think about that and you're like, this show exists and it's so incredible and for people just not to even be aware that it's a thing, you know, yeah. just, that just kills me. And, you know, I mean, it's just a different world with streaming now. Like it's not just about, yeah. you know, ratings or whatever, how it was before. Like, you know, the, the whole strikes that we saw uh, this summer, you know, and it comes to light, like, yeah, it's Netflix's best interest to cancel a show after two seasons, uh, you know, repackages so they can pay less or you know all of this bullshit that yep. is like stacked against long-form storytelling that uh yeah just you know go 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 watch it go stream it if, if you're not gonna watch it just let it stream on mute we <laughs> 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 need the clicks <laughs> I was going to say, too, because, like, the running joke of Gray Malkin being, like, I would like you all, do you have anything to plug? Oh, I would like you all to watch Wheel of yes. Time. I thought it would be really funny if you did that at the end of this, <laughs> considering the fact that we just did that for, like, 90 minutes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, I promise you guys, uh, Amazon Prime is not running us a check. <laughs> <laughs> they need to be, they need to pay somebody. But I was also going to say too, that, you know, to wrap it up for things to plug, there is of course those episodes of Grey Mock and we talked about them at the beginning and have given many props to Chad for all of the organizing skills, but also they're just a ton of fun to listen to. If you like X-Men stuff, check it out. And then I was going to say Tarvalon or Bust is a podcast that is about the Wheel of Time series mm -hmm. and uh, it's just really good. I've enjoyed listening to it recently. So I just wanted to get put that on everybody's radar because here we're really having to be like, here's the hints <laughs> and then we're out. As long as this episode is, the books are longer. <laughs> There's more. The series are longer. Like we're really doing kind of a run and gun. Here's like the the basics. And so if you enjoyed this conversation and you haven't explored it more, there is, of course, that uh, that podcast, Tarvel on or Bus, that you could check out that's going to flesh it out a lot more for you. So enjoy that. Give me a heads up if you know about cool Wheel of Time things that you'd like me to check out because I love this damn series. It really won me over. I didn't know what to expect. I went in cold with the series. 
episode one completely sold me in a way that because some people were like oh those like those special effects weren't that great and to me it's like I'm such a rose-colored glasses person sometimes that I was like doesn't matter loved it like don't care I didn't I didn't see a problem (laughs) with the special effects movie magic okay it's very easy to fool me I grew up on Xena that old school CGI like I don't even see it to me that's just as real as anything yeah yeah if the story's good if the story's good the effects if they're you know when effects aren't great it's there's something charming about it right like I mean I knew to watch Star Trek like back in the day oh yeah Oh, or like uh, Doom Patrol. Like that's one where it's like you could tell they didn't have like that much of a budget. And so every time they get very inventive with their power sets, I think that like, I don't know, whatever. I loved the special effects. I continue to love the special effects because it feels to me like a lot of what they're using their special effects budget on is building like the city of the Aes Sedai and yeah. like building these huge cities that are just stunning to look at. I love. I think the, the effects are, are incredible because in the books, they talk so much about weaving the flows and like in the show, they're, they're really just showing you and not telling you. But in the books, they have no choice but to tell you, right? And it's all about, right. you know, weaving fire just so with a thread of air and, you know, to make these different effects, right? Whether it's your voice booming or, you know, or, or whatever, or lightning or fireballs. And in the show, they just do a beautiful job of showing that, like, again, that, like, Lan and Moraine versus the world in the finale. Yeah. Oh, my God. And... Moraine looks like she's like voguing the house down with her <laughs> hands and she is killing it. Lan is swinging around with a sword, fighting everybody. It is just breathtaking. I think so. That was it. Like I was personally quite stunned by it. Also the channelers, uh, whenever they're Demone form, you know, they have like their like masks on and stuff. They are so scary. And like that, uh, those waves that they create that just like are, they just like decimate like the space in front of them. I'm stunned by that. Like every time it happened, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like when they first show up, you're like, no, 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 no. It's <laughs> like just these insane people, it's scary. because like, like Aes Sedai theoretically could do all of that stuff, but the Aes Sedai are bound by the three oaths. So they cannot tell a yeah. lie. They cannot use the one power as a weapon unless it's in the defense of their lives, the life of their sister or their warder. And they cannot make a weapon for or anyone else to use. Like, they're bound by those oaths. So they can commit violence when needed, but they are restricted. And then you get the Damani, who are literally just weapons of war. You know? Yeah. It's just amazing. I know. And it's like, yeah, seeing that, like, the fall of, like, certain members of Aes Sedai, like, certain of the Aes Sedai kind of just being forced into this life and seeing that, um no this is so terrifying (laughs) that's it as i said it's such a scary season it kind of wraps up in a nice way where it's like it's cool like we settled some things the slaver died you know like all of that stuff where you're like breathe a sigh of relief but then you're like they definitely still give you that moment of like or do you (laughs) like at the end so I'm thrilled. I cannot wait. I agree with you that this is an incredible series. I'm excited to get through the rest of the books. You know, I'm just going to have to buckle in and kind of start going through them a little bit faster. I got to, I got like a little bit into the second one so far and uh, it is not disappointing. I got to say it's really good stuff. So 
I don't know, even if it is nerd homework, sometimes you got to settle in and get schooled, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's some, some nerd homework is less painful than others. <laughs> All right. Well, where can the folks find you if they would like to hear more of your insights, often on Ekman? I, I don't know how many insights I can promise you, but I am <laughs> at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, that's about it. And go go stream the show. Go go listen to Gray Malkin Lane. Uh, other great shows, um, X of Words, The Ex-Wife Podcast, X is for Show. These are all great. Yeah, X-Men podcast. We are living in like the golden age of them. (laughs) And we actually do one, uh, Bitches of X, which is we, Priya and I have gone through many, many episodes. It's on our Patreon. You have to subscribe to listen unless you want to listen to our Vampire Storm episode, which came out on Halloween of this year. So it's just a few episodes back in your feed. So if you want to check out Vampire Storm, everybody check that out. Uh, But also just know that there are so many great X-Men podcasts happening right now. So if you are an X-Men fan, check a few out to just find a list because I'm sure there is one at this point if you Google it. (laughs) And if you're terrified and bummed by the fall of X, come on over to the Wheel of Time fandom which I have to say, <laughs> this is something I want to say, and it's it's kind of like getting they're getting the this this reputation. The Wheel of Time fandom is probably the most like positive and non toxic fandom out there, um, which is refreshing. Uh, as a big Star Wars fan, I'm not a fan of a lot of Star Wars fans. <laughs> uh, being a yeah. Star Wars fan is not an easy gig these days, um, <laughs> but. Being a Wheel of Time fan is a blast and uh, just a really fun, fun group of nerds out there. So, yeah, don't let the fall of X bum you out. There's so many other worlds to explore. I'm losing it. Okay, so I want to say thanks to my host, my other co-hosts who have not been here today. Because uh, one of them really enjoyed watching these last two seasons of Wheel of Time and wanted to be here. The other one perhaps does not yet know she is a Wheel of Time fan, but we'll discover it someday. There's time. There's a Wheel of Time. (laughs) You can come back around on the Wheel of Time, figure out what stage you're at, and then you can pick up whichever book corresponds with that. Um, it's like astrology now, (laughs) like which part of the wheel of time are you at? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm an Aries. I'm on book one. So (laughs) anyway, thanks to everybody for being here. Thank you again. Of course, this has been, it was a little bit even longer than I said it was going to be. And I'm glad for every minute of it. It was a wonderful call. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Thank you for your patience and letting me, uh, rant a little bit on these different topics. Um, I I hope I didn't go too deep on any of these things that are much further down the road, Uh, but it's just (laughs) been a blast. I love that you're excited about it. I love, I I just love this energy. So thank you. Yeah. And thanks for bullshitting with me because that is what I promised at the top of the hour. And that is what we delivered, folks. You're listening to Bitches on Comics. Distributed by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Find more shows like Bitches on Comics by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. 
You can follow us on Twitter at, at @bitchesoncomics and on Instagram at, at @bitchesoncomics. Our website is brace yourself bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the podcast by joining us on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Estrella and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Have you ever been stuck on a call you really wish you could get off of? I guess it's official. Oh. I guess we're partners. Thank you. Here we go. I feel like after that incredible dinner that we had with you the other night, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you how much it was. But you try to put two dozen oysters in a spreadsheet, you know, your accountant's not so happy. So can't even write those off when, yeah, it's, when they come from seafood. Bar. Gets tricky. So right. Conference call follows a down on her luck tech industry wonderkin by the name of Julie Burke, who has no other choice but to partner with two brothers from the reject piles of Shark Tank as they desperately try to develop their next invention. When recordings of Julie's calls with the Toad Bros end up in the hands of an investigative journalist, she presents her audience with the wild twists of Julie's story, showcasing the best of their worst, most cringeworthy phone calls. Conference Call, a Paradiso Media production presented by Realm, stars Elizabeth Henstridge, Jeff Ward, Gregory Stees, and Emma Roberts, and featuring Karen Gillan, Beck Bennett, Dimi Dijuibe, Clark Gregg, and many more. Be sure to listen and subscribe to Conference Call wherever you get your podcasts or learn more at realm.fm.